thank you so much for joining us for this online experience today. We're going to play a few songs of worship, and we encourage you to sing along with us.
Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing in this place, what you're doing in our church right now. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your joy. Father, we thank you for everyone who's watching this, whether that's on their TV or on their smart device, whether they're listening to this in their car, on a podcast. Father, we thank you that you're going to speak to us, you're going to help us, you're going to minister to us today. We thank you for, we thank you that your word is still relevant today. Your word is still alive. Your word is still full of power and it has the ability to change us from the inside out. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you're going to speak to us. You're going to help us today. You're going to encourage us. You're going to build us up today. That we're going to have faith come to us because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We thank you for it. We thank you for everyone watching this, that they're going to leave different from the way they started watching this broadcast. We thank you for it. We thank you for speaking to them. We thank you for giving them specific answers for their life, for their future, for anything they have going on in their life right now, that you're speaking to them, Father. And we thank you for it. We thank you for your presence in this place. Wherever they're at right now, we thank you for your tangible presence there. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Everybody said? Amen. You can be seated today. We're glad to be here at Church on the Rock again for another service. If you got your Bibles with you, let's turn to Proverbs 12, verse 25. And uh, I've been led to uh, speak about some things this next few weeks about worry and anxiety. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to turn to Proverbs 12, 25. In the New Living Translation, we're going to start this new, uh, really, series of talks about worry and anxiety. In Proverbs 12, 25, it says, worry weighs a person down, an encouraging word cheers a person up. I love in the Amplified Classic, it said, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but an encouraging word makes it glad. So today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is, Worry Doesn't Work. Worry doesn't work. Come on, say that with me. Worry doesn't work. So we're going to start with this verse right here in Proverbs 12, 25, and it says, Worry weighs a person down, and an encouraging word cheers a person up. And you know what? This verse was given to me because thinking about these several talks that we're going to have on Sunday mornings about worry and anxiety This is what I believe is going to come out of it. That worry that's been weighing you down, that an encouraging word, not just from me, but from God's word, is going to cheer you up. It's going to make you glad. It's going to change your life. And it's not the words that I have to say that will change you. It's the words that God has to say. But I love that. Worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. You know, I was thinking about everything that's going on in the world today. And thinking about how so many people are trying to be positive, but we need to believe something different than just being positive people as faith people. Because I was thinking about this because a lot of people are trying to say, you know, it's going to be all right, it's going to be okay. But that positivity is not attached to anything solid. There's no reality to it. There's no substance to it. And I want to encourage you, church family, when we speak our faith, it's not just we're just speaking it to speak it because we're just positive, wishful thinking people. But notice our faith is attached to a real truth and a real reality. The Bible says that your faith is like 
what's being built on a rock or a foundation. It's actually an anchor in the time of the storm. That, that's what keeps us stable. That's what keeps us strong. That's what keeps us grounded. So our faith is not just in positivity or wishful thinking. Our faith is in the actual word of God that is a foundation for us in times of trouble. That is a strong rock and foundation and an anchor to us in the storm. So our faith is not just in faith or positive thinking or just being a wishful, hopeful person. But our faith is in something solid, which is the word of God. So when we say encouraging word, I'm not just saying, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be great because it really is not going to be okay and great for everybody, only for people that are in faith. Because God doesn't respond to just your need or your want. He responds to your faith. That's what God responds to. And we receive from God by our faith. So when we're speaking faith, when we're speaking that, that God's going to do something for us, it's not just in nothing. We're speaking that because our faith is rooted in a real reality, which is the Word of God, which is something that we can stand firm on, just like it says in the Bible, the house that was built upon the rock. It was something firm that when the storms of life came, they were still standing. The anchor that holds us steady and stable in troubled times. That is the Word of God. And that's the encouraging word he's talking about in this passage. Not just, cheer up, guys. It's going to get better, guys. No, that doesn't do anything for anybody, but a word spoken in season, in faith, is what's going to change our life. So Proverbs 12, 25, let's read it again. Worry weighs a person down, an encouraging word cheers a person up. But notice it says in verse 25 in the Amplified, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but an encouraging word makes it glad. Realize that worry and anxiety are pretty much the same thing. Worry is you thinking about the future in fear because you're worried. Anxiety is you being anxious about the future because you're in fear. So anxiety and worry are really the same thing. that You could really exchange either word. That's why one translation uses worry. The other uses anxiety. But it's all about you thinking about your future in fear, not in faith. In fear, and really, the root to all the issues that we're having in this world, because there's really a mental health epi- epidemic in this world, it is all rooted in fear. It's not necessarily all just uh, a, a chemical imbalance in your head. It's not all necessarily circumstantial. It's really an internal issue, not an external issue. Because if you get out of that fear and get into faith, your anxiety and depression will leave. But a lot of people, at the root of it, at the core of that worry and anxiety, is fear. But we realize we can deal with that because God can give us the strength. And notice what he gives us to encourage us when we're worried, when we're anxious. He gives us an encouraging word to cheer us up. An encouraging word that will make us glad. Not just any word, his word he's given us. Your Bible. That's the word he's talking about today. So I believe in these messages, you're not going to just receive a pat on the back and, hey, it's all going to get better. But you're going to have a life-changing word because the word of God is what's going to change you. And that weight, that anxiety that you're feeling, it's interesting that the uh, uh, Solomon who wrote this, he actually said, worry and anxiety weighs you down. Because we know this, and he wrote this way before a psychologist or a doctor figured this out. But we know this, that worry and anxiety, one of the main physical symptoms of anxiety and worry is a weight or pressure on your chest. 
or weight or pressure in your head. That's a physical symptom of anxiety. It weighs you down. It beats you down. It beats you up. You know, I've been able to see sometimes in people's eyes and in the way they talk and in the way they walk, you can see anxiety and worry on people because it weighs you down. It beats you down. But you know what? God has answers for us today, and it says an encouraging word will cheer you up. An encouraging word will make you glad. And that's what God's will is, not that you stay in anxiety and worry, but that you are lifted up. And the only thing that's going to lift you up is an encouraging word from his word. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and I'm excited about it. Worry doesn't work. So if you've got your Bibles again, let's look at Matthew 6. Verse 25, and we're going to hang out here for the most of the rest of the day. Matthew 6 and verse 25. And before we start reading this, I want to set it up. In Matthew 6, 25, this is a very familiar passage because it is a part of Jesus speaking about the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was actually uh, several chapters here in Matthew. It's where Jesus went on to a hillside and he preached the famous message on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a part of it. He talks about a lot of things on the Sermon on the Mount message. But you can picture Jesus speaking this is in the Middle East on a beautiful hillside, probably overlooking a lake, probably the Sea of Galilee, something like that. And there's thousands of people listening to Jesus. He's standing up on this hill or maybe he's sitting down on this hill, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's speaking this about how the kingdom of God works, how we should respond as believers. And this whole passage is about worry. So that's what we're going to talk about it today because worry doesn't work. Now, I encourage you because we're going to go verse by verse through this in a moment, but I encourage you, all of you that are a part of Church on the Rock, or maybe you're just listening to this today, I encourage you for the next seven days, the next seven days, I want you to read Matthew 6, 25 through 34 every day. You could change the translation if you want, read some commentary on it if you want, but for the next seven days to combat worry in your life, I want you to read Matthew 6, 25 through 34, because worry doesn't work. You guys ready for this? I love this passage. So Matthew 6, 25, it says in the Passion, this is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't there more to your body than clothing? Verse 26, look at all the birds. Do you think that they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides for each one of them. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? So which one of you by worrying could add anything to your life? Verse 28, and why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil, yet even Solomon in all his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for a short time and then gone, won't he provide for you clothes you need even though you live with such little faith? Verse 31, so then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For this is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your body requires? Verse 33, so above all else, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom, 
and the righteousness that proceeds from him, then all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow, notice this, will take care of itself. So I'm excited to get into this. We're going to kind of go verse by verse. We're talking today about worry doesn't work. So once again, this passage is really a message that Jesus was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount to all these people. And he was talking to them about worry in the kingdom of God. And I love the examples he gives because he first of all says in verse 25, this is why I tell you to never be worried about your life for all that you need will be provided. Jesus said, I'm telling you, do not be worried about your life for all that you need will be provided. We're going to go verse by verse through this. And the first thing I want to say is the command to not worry is not a suggestion. It's a command. God didn't say, try not to worry. I know everybody's worried. Everybody's scared. So it's understandable. I'll let that one go. No, worry is a sin. And worry is wrong. And worry is really a slap in in the face of your creator saying that he's not going to take care of you. And he's not going to come through tomorrow for you. And so worry right here in this passage, Jesus said, do not be worried about your life for all that you need will be provided. Now, if you really believe that, you wouldn't be worried. The reason we're worried is because we don't really believe that God's really going to provide everything we need. But Jesus just said that. Do not be worried, but believe that everything you need will be provided. A lot of times we look at the outward sins like they're a bigger deal than the inward sins. None of you would would say that drinking or sleeping around, none of you would be okay with those things in your life, but you put up with worry. You put up with fear. You put up with unforgiveness. And actually, if you read your Bible, God says way more about do not fear and do not worry than do not sleep around. He says way more about do not be worried and do not be anxious than about you drinking. He says way more about don't be fearful, don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be concerned about your life than most any other thing that we would think about in the Bible is wrong. Worry is a sin. And actually, in reality, the inward sins hurt you more than the outward sins because the inward sins sometimes take longer to get rid of because they're rooted in our spirit and our soul. And we got to get that worry out of us. You know, worry is so dangerous. Worry is more dangerous than the coronavirus. You being worried about the virus is worse than the virus. You being worried about your financial situation is worse than your financial situation because when you're worried God can't help you. He can only help you when you're in faith. And notice what he says here. Do not worry. Why? Because everything will be provided. Now, when you believe that, all the worry leaves. But notice, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. But then he goes on and explains why we don't need to worry as his children, as believers. He says, do not worry about your life for all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, Notice that's everything you need, the basics of life. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? What's the answer? Yes. I mean, there's some pretty good meals around here. But still, your life is more than just one meal. It's way bigger than that. 
Isn't your body more than clothing? Absolutely, yes. Now, we all like great outfits, but your life is way bigger than just great outfits. Notice the first example he gives is the birds. Verse 26, look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? No, they don't. They don't think about it at all. They could really care less about human beings in general. As most of you have seen, when it's gotten a little bit warmer outside, a lot of our cars have gotten demolished by birds. Because they don't care. They're just living. They're not worried. They're not concerned. They're not fearful. They're not anxious. They're just alive. And notice what it says. Do they worry about their existence? No. They don't plant or reap or store up in food. They don't have a refrigerator. Yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? Yes, you are. So which one of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? I love it. He gives the example of birds because birds are everywhere. You go to any continent in the world, birds are there. You go to the city, birds are there. You go to the country, birds are there. You go to a cold environment, birds are there. You go to a hot environment, birds are there. The animal he chose are the ones that are everywhere and that are visible to every human being on the planet right now. There's no other animal that is visible at all times to everyone on the planet than a bird. And God says, just go outside and look at the birds. They're alive for a reason because I'm taking care of them. How much more you are better than a bird? How much more will I feed you and clothe you and take care of you? And notice those birds never worry about anything. They always find a meal. They always find a way to stay alive. And God takes care of them. How much better than a bird are you? It's really good during this period of time, especially if it's nice weather. Go outside, look at the birds. Dr. Dufresne used to talk about that all the time. Go outside, look at the birds. He used to say, you're better than a bird. You need to remember that. You're better than a bird. Animals are great, but they're not in the same class as you. They are not created in the image and likeness of God. How much more us, he will take care of us. He will feed us. He will clothe us because we are so much better than a bird. But you know what? God loves all of his creation so much. He even takes care of the birds. They eat. They find a way, whether it's a worm or a fry that flew out of our truck, they find a way to eat, and God feeds them. And let's go on a little bit further. You guys getting something today. Verse 26, or verse 28, why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. And yet, not even Solomon in all his splendor were robed in beauty more than one of these. So this next example he gives is flowers. He actually uses the word beautiful flowers of the field or wildflowers. Look at how well they are clothed. Look at the creation. Look at the trees. Look at the mountains. Look at the water. Look at all his creation. Especially right now, it's starting to be spring. It's starting to get warmer. You're seeing the trees. You're seeing the flowers. You're seeing the bushes start to come back to life. God made that happen. God put that in them. Notice every year they come back to life. Every year they start sprouting back again. Every year the trees start changing colors. The flowers start coming back. 
Who's sustaining that? Who's doing that? It is God himself. He put that in creation. And it says, if he clothed them, how much more you? But think about wildflowers. I, I was getting a visual picture of this the other day because I like to go to Charleston State Park and hike. It's my home away from home, and I love it. And I took Judah and Natalie with me the other day, and we were having a good hike, and it was one of those days it was starting to get warm. I think it was about 70 or 80 degrees outside. And in Charlestown State Park, the trees are starting to grow back and get green again, but the wildflowers are starting to bloom again. And we've been hiking a lot in the winter when it was just gray and brown out there, but now it's starting to come alive again. And I was thinking about this verse. Because actually on this hike, we were talking about heaven. We were talking about things that happened in heaven. And we were talking about that day. We were talking about Jacob and what he's experiencing. Because we were saying in heaven, there's sounds and music that we've never heard on earth that are way beyond what we can handle on earth. There's instruments we've never heard up there. There's books we've never read up there. But we were talking about there's trees and flowers and colors that our senses on earth don't even understand. And when we get to heaven, you're going to see flowers and colors that you never could imagine because we're living in a fallen, broken world here. We're not living in a perfect place like heaven. And we were talking about the beauty of flowers in heaven. And, you know, it was, I think, supernatural. As we were walking, we came up on this big field by the Ohio River that had all these purple wildflowers that were beautiful. And not only was I thinking about heaven and the flowers in heaven, because I was thinking those purple flowers, those wildflowers, no one planted them. God did. No one planted those wildflowers. No one's watering those. God is. No one's doing anything to make those wildflowers grow. God is. And those flowers are more beautiful than the flowers that you can buy at Lowe's or Home Depot. Those flowers are beautiful, and God is sustaining them. And I was thinking about heaven, but I was also thinking about this verse. If God will clothe the wildflowers, how much more you? And notice he gives an even greater example. He says, yet even Solomon in all his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. Now Solomon was the richest man who ever lived. Solomon was a king. Solomon was a multi-multi-billionaire in our day's money. And he's saying here that the clothing that God has given to the flowers is way more than all of Solomon and all his glory. Now you can imagine how many closets that Solomon had of clothes. How many shoes Solomon had. How many crowns Solomon had. How many robes Solomon had. How many flip-flops Solomon had. He was a multi-multi-billionaire, and he wasn't just wearing cheap stuff. He was wearing stuff made of gold and jewels and, and precious uh, clothing and precious fabrics that were worth, uh, you know, millions in that day because he was a billionaire. And he's saying here, if God clothes the flowers, and it's way more than even Solomon in all his glory, how much more you? How much more you? God will take care of you. Even Solomon, with all his money and all his clothes, were not dressed like the flowers of the field. You go around the world and you look at the world, no one has those colors and those things that God has put into creation. Not even the richest person on the earth. 
can compare to God's goodness and the way he can take care of us. But notice he goes on and said, so if God closed the meadow with hay, notice which is here for a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you clothes you need even though you have little faith? What's he saying here? God knows how temporary flowers are. Flowers lifespan compared to yours is very small. But if God puts that much attention to detail about flowers, how much more you? If God will clothe the flowers, how much more he will give you clothing? And everything he's done for you is in no comparison to what he would do for his natural creation because you're his child. You're his kid. You're made in his image and likeness. So we see here in this passage, he gives two examples. He gives the birds, don't worry about your food because he feeds them and he sustains them. But also don't worry about your clothes because he, he clothes all of creation, the wildflowers, the, the trees, the bushes. And all of it in all its glory was way more than Solomon in all his closet of clothes. And notice what he says. He'll provide for you clothes, even though you have little faith. Verse 31, so then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? For that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your body requires? Now what I got from this passage right here is, all these questions are the same questions you're hearing from all your neighbors, all your co-workers, all the news media. Just a little different. What are we going to do about our health? What are we going to do about our finances? What are we going to do about the future? What are we going to do about our church? What are we going to do about this country? And he says, don't worry about that. Forsake those worries knowing that God is going to take care of you. Because when you talk like that, it says you sound like an unbeliever. You sound like somebody who doesn't even know God. And I want to say this boldly and strongly today, that our lives should look different than the world. Our lives should look different than the news media. Our lives should look different than our co-workers. Our lives should look different. We should not be running around scared. We should not be running around fearful and worried like everybody else. We should not be asking questions like, what are we going to do about the virus? What are we going to do about our money? What are we going to do? No, we should just say, I know God's going to take care of us no matter what. That's what I know. I don't have any questions. I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. Because if God can take care of a bird and a flower, he can sure take care of me through all this. Come on, are you getting something this morning? So our lives should look different. And notice what he says the answer is. Forsake your worries. And notice, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Or some translations say, seek first the kingdom of God. Then all these less important things will be given to you. It's really simple right now. Super simple. God doesn't give you 10 steps, 15 steps, 20 steps. God says, if you want provision, just seek me first. Seek me first. I know it sounds super simple, but it is. God says, you want provision? You want clothes? You want your life 
to end up the way it needs to, you just have to have a single-minded focus. You have to have one focus in your life, not multiple focuses, one focus, one pursuit, one heart, one thing you go after, and that is to seek God's kingdom and God's ways above everything else. And it's a promise, then everything else. And then notice he says the least important things, lesser important things, because all those things are not going to matter in light of eternity. But since God cares about you, if you seek him first, all of these things will be added to you. All of these things will be given to you abundantly. In verse 34, refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way. One day at a time, tomorrow will take care of itself. I love this quote about what we just read here. It says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its trouble, but it empties today of its strength. When we worry, we don't change tomorrow for the better. We just make today miserable for ourselves. That we have no strength to live today. We, know how, we have no energy to live today. We're just miserable today thinking about tomorrow. But notice what Jesus says. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just think about today in faith. Because when you get tomorrow, there will be a new grace, a new help, a new anointing on your life to deal with tomorrow. But don't worry about it. Because you know when you get tomorrow, God will already be there. And he'll be there to help you, and he'll give you, give you the strength and the grace and the ability and the provision you need when you get to, to tomorrow. So there's nothing to worry about. But notice, worry does not empty tomorrow of its trouble, but it empties today of its strength. You guys getting something? So I want to share a few more things with you before we close today about worry and how worry doesn't work. I was thinking about worry and things to overcome worry with. And really, the thing that kept coming up in me strongly this week for you is we overcome worry by worship. We overcome worry by worship. And really, in reality, worry is actually worship in reverse. If you're good at worrying, you'll be a good worshiper because you're already doing it but in reverse. So I'm going to talk about two practical ways before we end today on how we can worry or how we can worship our way out of worry. So I want to talk about worship for a moment, and we need to realize that worship is bigger than us coming up to the front on a Sunday morning and raising our hands. Worship in the Bible is so much bigger than that. Actually, worship is what you think about. That's who you worship. What you love, that's what you worship. What you talk about, that's what you worship. How you spend your money, that's what you worship. How you live your life Monday through Saturday is what you worship. Your time, your talent, your treasure, that's what you worship. Not just lifting your hands for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, that's not what you worship. Worship is bigger than that. And we need to see worship as bigger than that because worship is anything that we love and we give our time and our affection and our thoughts and our lives to other than God. Worship is bigger than just a Sunday morning service. So I'm going to give you two practical ways on how we worship to overcome worry. Because if you're good at worrying, you can be good at worship. The first thing I want to talk about is meditation. Meditation 
can be a form of worship to God. And we'll, let me explain that to you. When we're talking about meditation, we're not talking about the New Age Eastern religion version, which that's you sitting in a room, and actually they tell you you need to empty your mind and empty your thoughts. That's not going to help you. But what the Bible talks when it says about meditation, it actually talks about you filling your mind full of God's word or focusing your mind on God's ways, God's word, and God's thoughts. So when we meditate, speaking in Bible terms, it's you taking time to sit and to think about God's ways and God's word and God's thoughts. It's to sit there and not empty our mind, but to fill our mind and to focus. Now, how many know we all sometimes have a problem focusing? That's why it's going to take some time to meditate. And we got to focus our mind because our attention spans can sometimes be short, and smartphones have not helped that. And we got to focus our mind on his word. So meditation can be a form of worship, and it can overcome worry. I was thinking about this, and I heard a story of a pastor sharing this. And he was talking about that there was a church he went to, and he was preaching about the passage in Joshua 1.8 where it says, you will meditate on the word day and night. And when you meditate on the word day and night, you will be prosperous and successful in everything you do. And he knew there was a woman in that church who had dealt with a lot of worry and anxiety to the point that she had to go to a mental institute several times in her life. And he felt for her, and he had compassion towards her. And she came up at the end of the service and said, I don't know if I agree with you. There's no way that you can meditate on something day and night. And he said that God spoke up to his spirit man and told him this. And then he said to her, he said, you already are meditating on something day and night. That's why you're in the middle institute. You're just not meditating day and night on God and God in his word. You're meditating on something else. And when you meditate day and night on something else other than God, you're actually worshiping in reverse, and it leads you into worry, anxiety, fear, depression. The truth is we're always thinking about something. There's no such thing as us thinking about nothing. You're always thinking about something. That's why we have to fill our mind and focus our mind on the right things, and the right thing is God's word. And when we do that, that's what the Bible calls meditating on God's word. So you're already meditating on something day and night. And let's be honest, if you feel anxious right now and you feel worried right now, you're meditating on the wrong things. Don't look at somebody else to blame. Don't look at somebody else to get a hold of. No, you have been meditating on the wrong things. That's why you feel the way you feel. In the same way, when you meditate on God's word and you worship him, you have feelings of peace. And joy and faith all depends on what you do with your worship. So let's look at a verse here in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. We're talking about worship and meditating God's word. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners, or join in with the mockers. This is Psalm 1 and 1. Verse 2, But they delight in the law or the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. 
And verse 3, this is the person's life that meditates on the word, which is worship. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves will never wither, and they will prosper in all they do. But notice, this is the life of the believer who chooses to meditate on God's word day and night. They are like a tree planted by the rivers. The rivers, so that tree is healthy. That tree is full of life. And notice it says, it will bear fruit each season. Notice, not just in summer, it will bear fruit each season. In the fall, in the winter, in the spring, during a pandemic, during a famine, it will bear fruit. And notice it says, because you're planted by a higher reality and a higher rim, and you're planted and meditating in God's word, their leaves will not wither, and they will prosper in all they do. But notice that only comes when we choose to meditate in God's word. And meditation is a form of worship. So notice when we meditate on the wrong things, that's worry. But when we meditate on the right things, that's worship. So you can either be changed for the good or the bad, for the positive or the negative, all depending on what you are filling your mind and focusing your mind on. But notice it says those who delight in God's word or God's law meditate on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. Their leaves will never wither and they will prosper in all they do. That's God's word for us. Joshua 1.8 says the same thing. If you meditate on the word day and night, you will be prosperous and have good success. So we got to be honest, we're always thinking about something, and we choose what we're thinking about. It's interesting, in Matthew 6.25, which we just read, in some translations it says, don't be worried, but in the King James it says, take no thought. Meaning, you can take a thought, or you can resist a thought, because you're always thinking about something. So you can choose to take God's thoughts, or you can choose to take the enemy's thoughts. If you take the enemy's thoughts, it leads to worry or anxiety. Or if you take God's thoughts and meditate that, it leads to greater worship. Come on, are you getting something today? Brother Hagin said this. Somebody asked him this question about how do I know if I'm worrying. He said, it's real easy. Are you thinking about it? Because if you're thinking about it, you're worrying about it. Let's not try to make it better than it is. If you're thinking about it, you're not figuring it out. You're worrying about it. You're not helping yourself. You're making it worse because worry doesn't work. So meditation. We overcome through worship, and one form of worship is meditation. And we meditate on the right things, and worship overcomes worry. The next thing, the next thing that God gave me was we meditate and we magnify. Those are both forms of worship in the Bible. And we magnify to overcome worry. Let me explain to you what I mean. The Bible talks a lot about worship, and really the number one worship leader in the Bible was David. David in the Psalms would always talk about magnifying the Lord. Here's a couple of verses, Psalm 34, 3. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 69, 30, he says, I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. So when we magnify, that's a form of worship. 
Now, what do you do when you magnify something? Well, if you have a magnifying glass, that glass, when it's focused on something, it makes the thing that it's focused on seem so much bigger. You can focus it on a little ant, and that ant seems giant because you put the magnifying glass on it. And that's why he says, come magnify the Lord with me, because you can either magnify God or you can magnify the problem. Whatever you magnify becomes bigger to you. Now, even though in reality God is always bigger than your problems, if you magnify the wrong things, the problems can seem bigger than God. That's why it's so important. David said, you need to magnify the Lord with me. I need to magnify God. And magnifying God is a form of worship that overcomes worry. Notice when we magnify the problem, our worry goes up. But when we magnify the answer, our worship goes up. Come on. And we see that there's a big reason why people so many times at church say after the worship part of the service, they feel better. You know why? It's real easy because all week long you have been magnifying the wrong things. So you've been worried, you've been anxious, you've been depressed. But then something happens when we come together as a church family. You start magnifying the answer and the right things. And notice your feelings change and your mind change and you feel better. Why? Because you started worshiping and your answer is so much bigger because you took the magnifying glass off the problem and put it onto the answer, which is God. So you can either worship or you can worry, but it's all about who and what you magnify. And we notice when we magnify the wrong things, problem seems bigger. There's a reason the news media has not stopped talking about what's going on today. It's real. Not denying it. But you know what they do? They have the magnifying glass and they can't see anything else. So they just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And notice they have no hope because they only see the problem. But it's because they're magnifying the wrong thing. But we can choose to turn that magnifying glass and put it on the answer, which is God and his word. And we do that through worship. And it changes the atmosphere. We feel better when we worship. Why? Because we get our problem away from us and we get it onto the answer onto our God it's amazing sometimes when you talk to people or counsel people even in my life as a pastor I've talked to many people going through stuff and it's amazing sometimes you can say the exact right answer you can explain to them and give them 30 verses you can feel the presence of God in that room talking to them and they say I don't get it I can't see it I don't see a way out. I don't see a way for this to change. I I don't get it. I I can't see it. You know why they can't see it? Because they magnified the wrong thing for so long, they can't see anything else. And what they need to do is somebody needs to grab that magnifying glass and take it off the problem and put it on the answer so they can see a way out. But notice that's your choice. When we worship God, we magnify him. We make the answer bigger. We make our God bigger. We make our, his word bigger. Now, it's already bigger. But our focus sometimes is on the wrong things, and we've magnified the problem for so long. That's all we see. That's why David says, come magnify the Lord with me. Make him bigger in your mind. Make him bigger in your thoughts. Make him bigger in your words. Oh, praise the Lord with me. Magnify him with thanksgiving to get our mind off the problem, which will cause worry. Get our mind onto the answer, which will cause worship. 
then we can see a way out. We can see a way of escape. So two things I want to leave you with. We need to meditate and we need to magnify. Those are two forms of worship. And when we do that, those are things that help us overcome worry, get out of worry, into worship. And we can see our answer. Could the praise team come back? I want to end with one last verse in Matthew 6. And I'm going to read from the message translation. Did you guys get something today? Worry doesn't work. In Matthew 6 and 25 through 34, I'm going to read a couple portions of this in the message translation. I love what it says to sum all this message up about worry. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never ever seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Here's the answer. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find everything, your everyday human concerns will be met. Verse 34, give your attention to what God is doing right now. Let me just say this before we close today. God's doing so much more than you realize right now. He's doing something in the world. He's doing something in this country. He's doing something in this church. And what the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn for good. I believe it with all my heart. Our church is getting stronger through this. We're getting more unified. And when we come out of this, we're going to have explosive growth. And the biggest revival we have ever seen, not just this church, but I believe the church globally, because the church is rising up. But notice it says, give your attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow, what the message says. God will deal, will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So give your attention to God. I love that. And what he's doing right now. God wants to do something in your life, but you got to give him your worry. We're not going to worry anymore. Let's make that commitment today as a church. We're not going to worry or be anxious about anything. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. We're going to do that through meditating. We're going to do that through magnifying him and worship. I challenge you, church, put on worship in your home every day. Blast it. Turn your kids' radio off if you have to. Turn on some worship. Magnify God. Watch the atmosphere of your house change. Watch the atmosphere of your family change. Watch the atmosphere of your mind change. There will be so much joy and peace in there. Notice when we worship God and magnify the right things. So let's sing.
Father, we just love you. We thank you for your care for us, your provision for us. We believe for our entire church family and anyone watching. We thank you, God, that you take good care of us, and we believe that. You give us all the food we need, all the clothes we need, all the money we need, all the provisions we need for our health, for our family. And Father, we believe that you're a good provider. We're not going to worry. We're not going to be anxious. We refuse to. We're going to walk in peace, walk in faith. And Father, we're not going to worry. We're going to worship. We're going to worship you by meditating on your word. We're going to worship by magnifying you with our worship and our thoughts and our singing. Keeping our eyes on you. Magnifying you. We're going to make the answer bigger and the problem smaller. We thank you that your word says nothing's too hard for God. That you are well able to take care of us, to help us, to strengthen us, to provide for us. Father, you care for us more than you care for the birds, more than you care for the flowers, more than you care for anything. You care about us as your children. And we thank you. You're a good father. And you're a good provider. And we're not going to worry. We're going to cast our cares on you for you care for us. We realize worry doesn't work. We're going to choose to worship. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for it today thank you for your presence. Father, I pray right now for people that are watching us. I thank you for healings taking place. I thank you for miracles happening. I thank you for people's bodies being changed supernaturally. I command any virus, any infections, anything to be removed from them right now in the name of Jesus. I command any discouragement, any depression, any anxiety, any worry, any torment because of fear to leave in Jesus' name. I command anything that would be against you to leave, not by our power, but by the power of God, by the name of Jesus. You have to go, and for peace to come, for joy to come, for strength to come. Father, we thank you for it today. Come on, let's just thank him. Thank him in your house. Thank him when you're watching this or listening to this right now. Let's just raise our hands. Let's thank him. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We worship you. We magnify you. We lift you up. Father, we thank you that you're greater, you're stronger, you're more powerful than anything we could ever face. And the good news is you're on our side, and you're with us, and you're for us, and your grace is going to be there for us tomorrow. We don't have to worry about it. And provisions are going to be with us tomorrow. And that you're already in our future making preparations for us. You're a God of provision the God who sees ahead and provides for everything that we need. Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.